The way Sonic Fox practices, the way Tokido plays, and the way Bonchan talks all give us useful insight into how these brilliant fighting game minds work. Plus, there's a new James Wan Mortal Kombat film in the works. Catalyst admits that G is a better character than he thought. We have a few takeaways from Summit of Time and more on this week's Event Hubs podcast. Perfect. All right, and welcome back to another episode of the Event Hubs podcast. I am John Catalyst Gray, and with me as always is John Velociraptor Guerrero. Yes, I'm here. It's the second podcast this week. It's kind of crazy. We're going at a grueling pace all of a sudden. Yeah, you know, we wanted to get that Ono segment in there and just heavily break down what he, what he has going on. And again, we, we talked about it on the pod where with Ono, we need about like five translations of everything he does. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the beauty and magic of that guy, right? Like He can say like innocuous stuff and and all of a sudden like you know but it's worth reading into like history shows it's worth like checking out our our entire community like gets into it it's pretty cool um but we're actually here to talk about other stuff today but damn it oh no like i have to tip my cap to you once again for pulling another rabbit out of my cap uh with the stuff that you do uh man you're you're crazy good at that so there it is um, but getting right into it here, we had the Mortal Kombat 11 Summit, and then uh, you wanted to specifically talk about Sonic Fox, who once again just kind of came out and kicked everyone's butt, for lack of better terms. Uh, I mean, he was really all up in there. Uh, what did you see? Yeah, so Sonic Fox is a big part of it. One, I think that it's important because this was the first showcasing of, um, it was an invitational, right? So we had a, a handful of traditionally very strong NRS players, and they all did. They, they brought to the table exactly what we kind of expect, like a level of play higher than what you might see at like the majority of Northwest majors, for instance, which also had Mortal Kombat, and which also was great. But you didn't have Sonic Fox and Scar and Tweety and, and, and all these big NRS names come together. Now, it's still only a few weeks after Mortal Kombat has come out, and it was a foxy grandpa in his post-game interview, I think, that said... I'm still getting used to a lot of these character matchups, right? And and so these guys have done a lot of homework. They've studied a lot of stuff, obviously, but there's still much more to be explored, and especially in this game where you have to know not only what your character does, but what every other character does in every other situation, even more so, I would argue, than in other fighting games because that's pretty go-to fighting game advice. Know what your opponents can do. But here, as it, in medium to high-level Mortal Kombat 11, and virtually any of the Mortal Kombat's in recent years for that matter, you really do need to know when the gaps and when the high versus low mix-ups are coming and when something is safe and all of these little intricate things. Because if you don't, uh, characters can just get away with stuff for forever. So Summit of Time was a showcasing of basically what a, a good handful of the pros have figured out thus far. It was very entertaining, and it did indeed have Sonic Fox, who has proven to be at least a head or sh- a head and shoulders above everybody else in almost every game that he touches, right? That's not really news to anybody. And again, uh, he took the whole thing down. He took the randoms tournament down where you just random selected your characters. He won that as well. And it was uh, it was a it was a cool showcasing. The majority of characters that we saw were like the top tiers. It was a ton of Garrus, a ton of Sonya, a ton of Aaron Black. But there was some peppering of other characters, and that was cool too. And hopefully, we will continue to see other characters because one of the things that I saw a lot from people was this is becoming a Garrus fest or an Aaron Black fest. Uh, mm-hmm. I think those are the two biggest uh, offenders here. And, I mean, this is the first time we're seeing a lot of the stuff and a lot of the potential that these characters can do. And if people are already complaining, it's like, oh, that may be something to watch out for. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in and just mention also at Texas Showdown that, that Garrus and Aaron Black were in the top uh, echelon of character Gs. Like Noob Cybot actually ended up placing above them just a little bit, but Garrus and Aaron Black are respectively second and third. Yeah. So there's a lot of love for Noob. Um, and, and there were, there were there was Baraka, there was some Katana, uh, Foxy Grandpa pulled out Kung Lao. There were some others, a lot of Jackie Briggs. So I would hesitate to say that it's an issue quite yet, but it's something I kind of have my eye on. But as far as Sonic Fox goes, just another weekend for Sonic Fox, it seemed. Everybody else was out there trying to prove something, and he was just kind of like going around making jokes and just taking names like it's his job, because it is. And, I mean, I don't have too much to say beyond that, except for that this is a person that sees the code, the fighting game code. And it doesn't matter if it's a game like... People talk a lot about how NRS games uh, are, are very different. They're, they're a total change of pace from a lot of the other fighting games we play, and they are. Um, that's not saying anything good or bad. It's just saying that they're different. But he's been good in all like the NRS games. He's been good in um, Dragon Ball Fighters. He's been good in Marvel. He's been good in Skullgirls. Uh, he did decently when he was playing Street Fighter V. So this guy really sees the code. I'm trying to figure out, like, how does he look at these things? How does he, how does, what, how does his brain work? It seems like he does this effortlessly, but does he spend all of his free time in training mode? Like, or, or does he spend no time and he just gets it? And uh, a little bit of insight that I'd like to share with people that probably are thinking something along those same lines. So that I was talking to Efren on Best of Five, and he recalled back when he was first interviewing Sonic Fox in the early MKX days. And while on a live interview, Fox had an idea, turned sideways while Efren was asking a question, and actually started playing the game. Like he had training mode open right there during a live interview. <laughs> wow. And okay. and Efren goes, wait, what, are, you, are you playing right now? And he's like, oh yeah, I'm, I just thought of something, but go ahead, I'm still listening. And he probably was at full capacity, still listening, but also exploring something. That to me was significant because that gives a little bit of a glimpse inside like the work ethic and and where his his head is at as far as as soon as something pops in there, oh, just go lab it and remember it and there you go. But it seems to me that it's more along the lines that he is a walking database mm-hmm. and and that's what gives him a lot of the edge a- along with a, f- a ton of other really strong attributes as a fighting game player. But I thought that was cool and wanted to share. Yeah, that is really cool. I, I continue to go back with Sonic Fox that... His character selection is so unusual. Like, Jackie is a good character in this game, right? But she's not at, like, you're not hearing her in the same breath as, as you know, Garrus and, and Aaron Black, uh, is Sonya, and a few others, like even maybe Noob up there, right? Um, mm-hmm. She's good, but she's not great. And, and then you go back and you see his usage on a lot of other games, and he's able to pick characters that are often consider good but not great and dominate with them. Uh, and I mean, it's just not like, you know, you're, you're, you're fluking out a couple wins here. You are dominating with these characters. And his way of picking apart these games and the way he breaks them down is, is very clearly different than most other players, right? I cannot think of any other dominant fighting game players who don't play continuously top tier characters. Um, Sonic Fox is the only one I know of that, that, you know, he obviously has some top tiers in there, right? He does play Aaron Black. He does play Garrus. Um, those are there, but he's so often picking people that are just enough under the radar. It's like, how the hell are you doing that, dude? Like, how do you, how are you pulling this off? Uh, and I mean, it's just, he's been doing it for so long. I don't think you can discount it. Like if it was a couple times, you could say, yeah, it's a fluke or whatever, or, you know, we're, we're maybe underrating these characters, but he has been doing this almost the entire time. And it's just, uh, wow. I think it's, it's very impressive. He plays the game. Right. Yeah. And when so so someone like me, I usually jump on one character for a long ass time and then maybe get inspired to pick up a secondary. But 
I think Sonic Fox sits down and he more or less explores the entire cast and his ability to see what's significant within the parameters of any specific game are, is, is, is amazing. So he can see where characters are very strong. And so with someone like, okay, I'm not sure where Jackie falls on the tier list at this point, but let's mm-hmm. say she's like mid-low, okay, something like that. But she's really good at doing this one particular thing. If you know the entire everything about the game, or at least a, a really good picture of it, then you can say, well, my opponent plays this character, and Jackie excels at this, so she actually emerges as something of a counterpick. And even at this like three-week-old stage of the game, or wherever it is we're at right now, he is probably still playing on that level. And so you'll see just like sudden picks of, of whomever, you know, like just I'm, I'm sure we'll see Sonic Fox's Frost next tournament that he pops <laughs> up in, right? When right. he picked like Gotenks, that was at a time from what I remember in Dragon Ball Fighters, that was a time where people were like, yeah, Gotenks is not nothing special. He's got some weird stuff that might work, but Sonic Fox made that weird stuff really work and it, it put him much more into the public eye and got much more playtime for that character. We found out that it was pretty exceptional in, in a lot of ways but it took in in a lot of ways it took him doing that and showing that to get there. the bastard was playing captain cold and injustice 2 and winning with him mm-hmm. and, and that was considered one of the lowest tier crappy characters in the entire game like almost un like you just didn't touch him for the longest time and then sonic fox is winning with him and like i, I think he won multiple grand finals with them um you know spread out and stuff i mean it wasn't his best character but he was still able to take a character that was just like completely off the radar it's basically like taking ed in street fighter and going oh yeah i'm gonna win a couple grand finals with this guy boom you know yes. and i uh, i'm gonna get myself in trouble here with the nrs scene just a bit on this I, I do take a, a decided difference between um, Street Fighter V and an NRS game and dominating either one. And we've seen evidence of that with, with uh, Sonic Fox and Dragon Ball Fighters, right? Mm-hmm. There was a point in time where he was the most dominant player in that game. Uh, and, and, you know, but overall, it's been Goichi, uh, Kazunoko that have been had better performances overall. He just was not able to go over and have the reign of dom- dominance he's had in Dragon Ball Fighters that he's had in NRS games. And that speaks again to the playing field that he's entering the more broad FGC outside of the NRS circles and, and facing the competition that we have to face all the time, right? So, and I'm not trying to take too much away here from Sonic Fox. I'm definitely taking something away from that, right? Uh, he is one of the best players who's ever laid his hand on a you know joystick controller, or whatever. You know, um, he's incredible. But uh, there is a little bit of a different playing field when you get in more of these mainstream games uh, in the FGC because of the amount of entrance, because of the amount of tech that is being shared. Um, there's so much more to it. But uh, but there it is. Yeah, that's that's a fair. It's it's not apples to apples, but the kid has done in so many different boxes of fruits, right? Like he's yeah. he's dominated the apples box, the oranges box, the plums, the the kumquats, the uh, everything, right? And so just because he didn't have uh, quite as much success in a game like Street Fighter or um, man, that's pretty pretty much the one that comes to mind. Where maybe Smash, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, certainly someone to take your hat off to. Or yeah. your giant furry head, if that's there you that's go. You. <laughs> I love that furry cap; it's awesome. I, I, it's a, it's always so. I, I'm always amazed that he can play like in, in a furry suit and, and like compete. I'm like, dude, I would be so freaking like going insane if I tried to do anything remotely. Close. Even the furry cap would bother the hell out of me. Uh, so the fact he can pull that off and he does interviews in it and all that, like, I just <laughs> he said it was expensive. I assume it has yeah. AC. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> that would be great. What's that humming sound? Ah, never mind. You know. Anyway. <laughs> um, so moving right along here, uh, I had a discussion with G uh, about G. I should say with uh, Stephen Dream King. And you got I to was... talk to the president of the world. That's awesome. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, I mean, he's winning tournaments. Are you know someone controlling him is, but you know whatever. Uh, anyway, so. Um, I've been definitely running into more G players online. Uh, in the latest stats that we did for CFN, he has jumped up quite a bit uh, in terms of how many people are playing him. Uh, he's popular in tournament, and he's popular with more casual players, right? Um, this character's climbing up, and obviously you, you, you've had some big issues with him that we've talked about here. And so I was getting into it more with Dream King and just kind of trying to break that down, like what we're missing and what we're, you know, not going into. And we've talked a lot about dumb characters in Street Fighter V in particular. Season 2 Balrog, Season 2 Laura, Season 3 Abigail. Uh, season always two, Rashid. Yeah, always Rashid. He's <laughs> never went away. Uh, and like, you know, uh, Season 2 Yurian, right? A lot of dumb stuff where they're just, they're getting way too much reward for what they're risking. And my perception of G was that, he's definitely got some dumb stuff but it wasn't to those characters level right like he was he once you lab him um that stuff is dialed back and so i was right and i was completely wrong at the same time so to explain that a little bit more uh you were incorrect and inaccurate or correct and accurate i don't remember uh, something yeah. like that yeah <laughs> um but talking with dream king he said like he's like dude um yeah, uh, G is just as dumb uh, as Abigail, uh, Balrog, other characters that you guys have ran across until you lab him. And that is kind of the big difference that he put out there is that once you lab him, his dumb factor gets dialed back really far. Uh, and so how I would equate this is like you can get like a 2 out of 10 effort, like you can put a 2 to 10 effort into G and you get it like a 7 out of 10 reward. You're not getting everything because he's technical he does take a bit of effort to get beyond that, but you can get really heavy rewards at, you know, kind of all levels of play if your opponent hasn't labbed the hell out of that matchup. And so that speaks to something that you say a lot of bad design. And, and I wanted to come back here on the pod and say, hey, you know what? Um, I was wrong about him in this regard for sure. Uh, I'm starting to see now some of the the major complaints people are having about the character and why they're having them about him. And we're trying to address this properly, right? I, I don't want to, you know, put myself into a corner and be like, oh, you know, like, uh, hey, I was completely right when, you know, hey, I found out new information. It's like, let's go discuss this on the podcast. Let's unpack this and tell our listeners what we're seeing right now. Um, and, and so just to, to move on a little bit from that is that I'm probably in the top five on the planet in matchups against G. I played against the character a lot. There's there might be a few more like, you know, Gustavo's like main trading partner or someone like that. You know, there's probably a few people who played more matchups against G than I have, but they're few and far between. Um, I'm a, you know, a fairly solid player, uh, all this kind of stuff. Um, and yet this was escaping me in in terms of like how to unpack the dumb that is G and separate like my experiences from what other people are seeing. Well, before, before we go in and talk specifics about him, I think it's important because of how polarizing he's been to kind of give a, a general idea of like what the banner over us is in terms of how intense or how dire, you know, the situation tends to be like how big of a deal is this? Like how broken, quote unquote, broken is this character? I, I think it'd be better to say how poorly designed is the character. And on that front, I'd give him like a 4 out of 10 or like a maybe a 5 out of 10 in terms of like, does this need to be addressed? I think it would, again, it would just make the game a little bit better. But if Capcom doesn't touch him, fine, that's okay. I can deal with it. I'll one-up you and say I think it's a 6 out of 10. 
actually, because of what we're seeing this character do in tournament now, uh, you know, Gustavo can say, hey, I won this tournament or whatever. But look, this character is showing up all over the place. And that's for good reason. We know, like, throughout fighting game history, that when you see characters jump up the tier rankings and they jump up the popularity uh, rankings, there is a big reason why. And yes, you can lad the heck out of the character and do a heck of a lot better against him. He's got a myriad of setups and all that kind of stuff, stuff I've never seen before, even with my matchup experience. That's how technical and how much he has going for him. But when you take the 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 you know the proverbial justice scales here and you have it heavily weighted in a character's uh you know favor at some levels and you have to get to like this master level to to balance that out that's not okay that's really bad design as you mentioned and it goes back to the abigail complaints i had the balrog complaints that bonchan infamously had <laughs> that really pissed capcom off uh and who wouldn't get pissed off about that right um that's yeah. when you start having major issues. And I don't think that G is to the level of an Abigail was previously. I don't think he's even on the level of a season two uh, Balrog, but he might be on the level of a season two Urian, right? Well, Balrog, you're, yeah, you're right. Balrog was the, the biggest sore thumb, and then Laura and Urian were there. The, they were definitely robbery characters. And, and I like comparing G to them the most because that seems to be his situation like he's he's never counted out especially right. with v trigger he can always turn things around um but you mentioned just a second ago and i want to go back to this really quick you talked about how he fares on like in, in like the different levels of play and of course it's going to be less efficient at the top because one the pros are going to have labbed this more than than anybody else will and you're going to get away with less stuff and there is a lot or i should say there are a lot of things that g can do that once you have labbed they are not nearly as effective or efficient mm -hmm. as they once were right but here's the thing it's putting away competitive and, and major play and and you know top eights of capcom pro tours putting that to the side the majority of games that are going to be played with this character are going to be online, you know, and they're going to be in like silver rank or gold rank or I don't even remember all the ranks at this point. But um, And the thing is, you have to have that in mind because if he's frustrating people and if he's making them feel demoralized in a way that yes. they shouldn't, then that's an issue too. So I think that the problem that the G actually is is very much inflated down at the lower levels mm -hmm. but that's also a very significant place to acknowledge if you're capcom that's because that's the, where the majority of your play exactly. is happening exactly so majority of the player base you have to account for that and again you have to account for you've talked before about how demoralizing this character is to lose against you have to account for that too when you're looking at your hardcore audience and you're saying mm -hmm. oh great I'm demoralizing uh, our most, you know, fervent fans out there and not even playing the game anymore. What, what are you doing at that point? Like, you're really messing up. And that is why, again, you, you saw uh, Problem X play uh, Abigail. And um, it, it was an infamous, like, uh, um, a match. I think it was, like, NCR or something like that. And Punk is playing against him. And mm -hmm. Punk actually beats him with Karen. But you could see Punk with with his hands over his face. Like, it, 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 he's just, like, sitting there almost on, like, he's not crying, but he's, like, really emotional. And, because Abigail is just, like, you know, knocking him down to, like, almost no health. And, like, he makes one wrong read and he's dead. And it's, like, what? It's, like, when has Street Fighter or any good fighting game come down to one read in the entire match? And it's, like, okay, now you have a 20% chance of escaping or you're dead. And the closest I can come to is Marvel 
Mm-hmm. But with robbery, yeah. But with robbery characters in this game, like I think they're even worse because again, in Marvel, you've got like X Factor, you've got a, you know, you've got huge comeback mechanics going for you in that way. Like the robbery characters in this game are probably some of the worst robbery characters in the history of fighting games, if you ask me. Uh, when they've been at their very worst, right? Because again, you're just you're losing in seconds off of one read. And, and I mean, again, in Marvel, at least you're it's a one player game, like with someone like Zero, right? I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It, it feels like you've well, got you an go opportunity. That. Yeah, you, you expect it, and you, you've also got three characters, so you've got three different reads to make there, plus an X Factor and all that kind of stuff. It can very quickly be a one-player game, but with Balrog, you had one chance. He, he's like, okay, he got you on that one you know, you know, uh, uh, combo into his V-Trigger activation. Now you've got a guess right on his mix-up, or you're dead. The thing about it is that it's like a one-two punch sort of a thing, <laughs> speaking of Balrog. But with these characters, and when you're talking about the the atmosphere of Street Fighter V specifically, it's the combination of this really super-powered sequence or move or whatever that they have to steal away the rest of your life bar quickly. But when you compare that, because it's because of the nature of a V-trigger and the activation of a V-trigger, when you compare that with certain moves that lead into it that don't take a lot of of risk or that cover a lot of different options you know for instance you have balrog that's just gonna do his especially in season two and it was like plus i think he's just gonna do his target combo into it if it hit you as you were trying to escape because you were juggling six other potential options then awesome if it didn't hit you still awesome because you're in that that 50 50 situation and it didn't take much of anything for him to just go yeah i'm gonna do it or i'm just gonna rush punts and cancel into it because why wouldn't i or g is gonna do the same kind of a thing and it's like it's not only that it hits you really hard, but the earning that situation feels so not earned, right? Exactly. It's just like they just yep. did the thing and they went into it. And I think that's that one-two punch of of the, the whatever the the lead-in is that covers a bunch of different stuff. And it's like they, they didn't they didn't shimmy you and know you were gonna go high. So then they went low and they they bet it all on that and they hit you with their biggest Death Star laser move. It was they did the thing no matter what you were doing and it probably worked out for them. And at that point you go, well, why am I even here, man? Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. the demoralizing factor, at least a big part of it, I think. And this is, I will go back and, you know, because we've talked about this before on the pod. I say this is a good problem to have. You know, we're, we're putting this on a scale. I think you put it at a five out of 10. I put it at a six, right? Um, that's not a huge problem in the grand scheme of things. And I, I've talked extensively that, hey, DLC characters need to be good. Or there's no point in even having them in the game. Look at Ed, look at Falk. It's like they're jokes of characters. You know, uh, Blanca to even some degree right now is... I, I don't know if I call him a full-on joke, but he's bad enough where you're, you're just not really seeing him enough, right? Yeah, I think Cody's a big, really good example because he's someone that you know people would be playing. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think he's actually really good in just you know flying beneath the radar, right? Um, but a story for another time. But my point is here, again, I'd much rather have DLC characters be worth, uh, worth something, you know, and be what G is right now than be completely worthless. Like, let me make that very clear. Mm-hmm. But now that we have him and we know he's worthwhile, this is what we want to do to tweak him, right? This is what we're going to get into. So um, one of the big things, and I don't think it's discussed enough in Street Fighter V, is how important corner carry is, especially for certain characters. When uh, Abigail would corner you, you were dead. Uh, he had medium blockables and like his setups were it just, he was so impossible to escape in the corner unless you had a DP. That made it so much easier. Or you had a super, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
G is one of the best characters in the game when he has you cornered. And one of the things about his low rush or um, anything into the business, as you like to call it, is there's a ton of corner carry on it. He's not, I don't know if he's exactly Rashid level, but he's not entirely removed. And you give a character with that much power, that much corner push, and you're really doing yourself a disservice, I think, to the entire game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what's important to, to, I think, pull back on right now with G is that you need to reduce how much he's carrying people into the corner. That won't impact his damage. It won't really impact his setups. It won't change much of anything else except for he has to work a little bit harder to push you all the way into that corner. And then, you know, obviously when he does, I mean, I don't even know what the odds are at the point in the matchup. If he has V-Trigger 1 and you're in the corner and, you know, the life lead is somewhat comparable or whatever, I think his odds of winning are probably 70 to 80 percent, right? And, yeah. and I mean, it's really high for him. And so you have to make a character work a little bit harder to get there. Right? It was exactly what Balrog did in season two, right? Because if he's yeah, hitting yes. you, he's just coast to coast. You could have him cornered and then pop it, go, and you're in the other one. Exactly. So you take that out of the equation and you you tweak the character's overall power without drastically hurting them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, another change that we've talked about is low rush punch into V-Trigger 1 is currently plus 4. And essentially what you're doing there is you're getting two mix-ups off of a yellow move. And two very good mix-ups at that. Uh, blocking low from mid-screen or further out is not something a lot of people do. Uh, and you look at you know Vega and Bison, they're not getting mix-ups after they pop that, right? They're, they're getting like, hey, they're, they're able to reset the situation. You know, they're not in a great position even if you block g is in a great position if you don't block he's going a full corner carry combo on you and pushing you really far out that is really stupid uh and needs to be again probably zero on block if you're going to do low rush and if you want that option if you do a high rush you're plus 10 and that's like really good uh that matches up with a lot of other characters v triggers right nicali is infamous for that he's plus 7,000. you know if he does a, <laughs> a high kick into um you know v trigger activation that's normal that's fine he's not getting that off of a low you know and a low that goes into massive combos and other things a huge difference there and mm-hmm. uh one of the other things i'll mention is just uh um, the hitbox on his v skill and v trigger one it's huge and it's really hard to escape for a lot of characters just shrink it down a bit maybe like 10 percent shrink the hitbox maybe that's too much maybe five percent but shrink that thing down just a bit so you can kind of jump over it so you can kind of get around it if you know the setup is coming um it's not going to be a drastic change for him it's still going to be very 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 good it just gives you a few more options to kind of maneuver around it and once you have those three things in place, I think G stays as a very capable and strong character. I don't think this is going to really hurt like Gustavo or a number of the other players that are winning with him and doing well. It's just going to take down his like highly oppressive and dumb stuff that why wouldn't you do it? You know, why not do this? It's like, okay, well, now you have to think a little bit more. You're not getting a free corner, you know, carry on. You're not getting a free mix up if you low rush. You're like, it's just making people have to play the game a little bit more uh, than, you know, they are right now. Yeah, I agree. And there are a few ways to go about it. I haven't I haven't spent a lot of, you know, intricate time thinking about if I would take it the way you're saying or maybe if uh, if his V trigger just didn't last quite as long, mm-hmm. something like that, maybe he only got um, you know, if he makes how about if he makes a low rush punch safe with a cancel into fireball, then that costs like half of his trigger, something like that. So it's like, sure, he still has the really strong thing, but there's a risk to it. Like and it's it's not even a risk, it's just like it, it's a cost. Right, because he's not necessarily he's not getting a hit because of it, but he he's it really costs something. Like if Karen's gonna do her rekas and then go backwards, that costs a significant amount of uh, of her remaining V trigger to do, mm-hmm. and and so it, like just little things like that. And I don't know that I would even well, uh, here. I'll, I'll jump in here and I'll I'll say why I actually disagree with that. And the biggest reason I disagree with it is I'm a big believer 
um, when a character hasn't had a lot of time to shine and G is just now getting, you know, up on and relevant in our community, right? It's just happened when you do a drastic change, the possibilities of having that drastically affect the character are much higher. And, and something like that, like, you know, dramatically reducing his V trigger time can have a huge effect on the character and make it so that V trigger one is not maybe worthless, but close to it. That's a three bar V trigger, right? Um, it changes the entire impact of a match. If you do something like you're draining half of your bar from that at that point, it's like, Ooh, well, am I ever going to even use V trigger one at that point? And now is this character even that good if he doesn't have V trigger one? Well, no, he would still have the, the mix-ups and everything. It would just be that if he if he does it willy-nilly and he then, oh, whoops, I can't do this, make it safe, then it costs a lot to do that, which mm-hmm. sounds, I mean, and I don't think that this is even necessarily, I, I like your idea better, uh, although that's its own can of worms because if you're messing with how much moves push someone back and things along those lines, right. that, that can be really crazy too. Yes. But um, but yeah, and because your change kind of alters the, the general flow while my change is still like it's the exact same character um the meter just changes mm-hmm. as far as like how many times he can do it but uh yeah I, I do like your approach i'm just saying that there are there are more there are multiple ways that we could potentially tackle this and also i want to say that I, I don't like i'm not i'm not mad at capcom mm-hmm. about this like it's I do like that, hey, first of all, a DLC character is flourishing, and it's it's not Cody, <laughs> it's not Sagat, it's not Sakura, the ones that had such a good chance. It's like the brand new one. Mm-hmm. And I bet you we see G pop back up in, in future Street Fighters. I think people really like the design, the way he plays, all this stuff, his homage to, uh, to Q. Um, I think that he's a really big success in a lot of ways, and he's got people caring and looking at and talking about the game. So in a lot of ways, like G's a really good He's he's really nice. It's like mm-hmm. you just sand a few rough edges down. Yeah, I agree, and it's I I want to see him continue to have the time to shine. It's when I do feel the robbery stuff when I lose. Like I've been playing Dinkadias quite a bit online um, and holding my own against him, but you know it's. I, I feel that like, okay, he got one good read on me. I'm cornered. I'm dead. That's where it really hurts. But even then I'm going, okay, well, what can I do about that? What can I do to stop that? And I don't feel like I'm out of options there. I do feel like mm-hmm. I can lab more and approach it more and say, okay, there's, there's options, right? So I'm, I'm trying to see things from all ends, but I think where the big problem really hits and we discussed before is at the lower levels of play where this guy's just doing stuff and, and that does bleed over to higher levels, you know, um, you will see you will see top level players get hit by dumb mix ups sometimes because they're they're really good, right? And it doesn't matter if a mix up is, you know, there's plenty of counters to it. At some point that mix up can become very relevant again at high level plays if the other person's not expecting it. If they're not expecting Amen. me to go kind of scrub mode, basically, right? A fifty fifty is a fifty fifty on Scrub Boy fifteen and he's a, it's a fifty fifty on Daigo. There it is. You know, same mm-hmm. thing. So Yeah. So but yeah, overall again, I, I think we're both kinda of on the same page where it's like, yeah, he's in a good spot. I'd like to see this in a four point five, which I personally think is coming, you know, um right around when we get all the characters, which is probably Evo. Uh that's my guess right now. Uh, I'm hoping for a four point five, but but there it is. 4.5 would be cool, you know? It'd be cool, especially for the chance to buff a few other characters. Mm-hmm. But also, if, if I saw some tweaks to G or, or Rashid, I wouldn't be sad at all. Gotcha. Uh, so moving along here, we've got Tokido. And he took first place at the Saigon Cup uh, 2019 here this last weekend. Um, and he actually had one hell of a run. Um, he came all the way back from, he lost in winter semifinals against, uh, John, uh, John Takauchi's Rashid. haha. Of course, lost to Rashid player. Um, but it came all the way storming back to take the grand finals. And one thing I noticed about his play, which I found very fascinating is his dashes at three, four screen distance. 
I, I just want to back up here and say that when you see p- people dash in this game, it's so often either, you know, to escape back dashes, but I'm talking like strictly forward dashes here. Um, and usually when you do a forward dash, it's so often to get up right in the opponent's face or very close to it, like, you know, within like an arm's length away. Tokido is doing this crap from three, four screen away and not just doing it a bit, like doing it all the time. And to a degree that the other players have a read on him and are punishing him for doing it. Like he loves to do it so much that, and he feels it so important that other people have sniffed that out in our game planning against him three, four screen dashes. And I'm like, dude, what the hell? And okay, so Akuma's got one of the best walk speeds in the game. Why the heck are you dashing and not just walking up and like, you know, bulldogging? So do you do you see this as, as kind of erroneous on his part? Because- no, no. I feel it as highly planned and, and very calculated on his part because uh, that's Tokido. He is a too researched and too smart of a player to be doing this and like opening himself up. Well, I mean, maybe it'd be it'd be best to get an example because so far it sounds like he's dashing from a weird place and he has the tools to do it more efficiently in just using Akuma's walk and people are countering it or, or seeing it and planning against it. So is it benefiting him at all? And that's that's my thing. It's like, I'm like, why the hell is he doing this? It was baffling to me watching this good of a player who, you know, you either put him in first, second, or at the very worst, like a top five placing for Street Fighter Five. I don't know how you would have him outside of that in terms of best players around, right? Um mm. So you put him up there and it's like you have better options. Why the hell are you doing this? And and one of the best ways you can see this actually firsthand is if you watch the Lunars, Losers Finals in Saigon Cup against Fudo's birdie. Um, Fudo was sitting there waiting for him to do it and hitting him with stand heavy punch. And Tokido lost an entire round in Losers Finals, not just by dashing, but like I want to say he took 70% of his damage or a huge por- portion of his damage trying to dash up and to just outside of sweep range. And for some reason, Tokido feels like getting to that range, getting just outside of sweep range is worth losing life, um, sacrifice, like being risky about it because he feels like Akuma can control. In my opinion, he feels like Akuma can control that space. And if he gets control of that space, he wins the matchup. And I'm like, really? I'm like seriously controlling that space on screen and risking so many things to do it is that important to you, Tokido? It's that important. The bastard got first place, <laughs> and he he did it throughout top eight. The entire top eight, he was doing this. The uh, the round I think you're talking about, Fudo pulled off a perfect. Yeah, but that was I think that was the only round Fudo won. Yes, in in their three games. So that was Tokido. As far as rounds go, it was six one, and I I did watch that actually just this morning, and I don't I don't recall. Like it, my, my attention wasn't drawn to dashing up when he was extremely far away, but it, it was he, he played it very aggressively, which is strange to me because this is what I saw. I saw, first of all, let's establish, Birdie has a very good reach on his normals. Mm-hmm. So he occupies and he is scary from further away with normal buttons than Akuma is, generally speaking. Now, Akuma, of course, has other, you know, he has Fireball and he has Demon Flip and such to, to kind of equal the playing field. But as far as normals go, and as far as footsies go, um, Birdie is very scary earlier on. But Tokido was getting at that range that you're talking about that he was, um, as you say, he was dashing up to, and he was sticking out jabs and stuff. Yeah. And the idea there was, I think, to um, to kind of counter hit, or, and more so than that, to make Fudo pause in trying to poke him, 
right? So Tokido was like basically showing his hand in that I am active right here and I am a threat right here. So if you try to come up and start sticking stuff out, you're very likely going to run into my already active jabs or maybe uh, maybe an occasional heavy punch. Mm-hmm. The idea was that he actually wanted to scare Birdie as a Kuma. He wanted to scare Birdie away from pushing buttons. And so he was being very aggressive both with his movement and with just sticking things out there and making it so that Birdie was very rarely comfortable to press buttons. That kind of conditioning puts your opponent, if successful, on the defense. And sure enough, about halfway through, I remember specifically seeing Fudo starting to just naturally back up. And what that does is is has him not only moving backwards, but also hesitant to press buttons. And when that's the case, I was seeing Tokido even dash forward once he was at that range because he knew that it wasn't very likely that anything was coming out from Fudo. It was a it was to me a total conditioning thing. And and then maybe getting back to what you were talking about with him dashing from even further away, it was part of this aggressive mentality to say, I am just going to shut you down. It was like a little dog shutting down a big dog by just being active from so far away and always just having this presence and dashing forward is part of that. When that's an intricate, uh, I'm sorry, when that's like an, an intended part of your game plan paired with being being active and putting out normals and it's also like this always steadily marching into your space and making you uncomfortable that's like very very scary to deal with you you want no part of it and you're just going to end up with your back in the corner if you let yourself just kind of go and and fall into that and it's insanity this is one of the lowest health the, the lowest health character in the entire game um and, and and he's doing these these pressure things and akuma gets by with his like ridiculous damage on stuff right but from that range as you're talking about he's like throwing out jabs he's throwing out crouching uh, medium kick he, he's doing you know fierces and stuff he's getting a lot of one-off buttons he's not getting this massive reward for it like what akuma is known for but as you mentioned he's bullying freaking birdie like a character that bullies you in neutral that's what he does and and tokido's like oh no well i'm just way better Better than everyone else so screw you guys that's how this is how i'm gonna play and i know that's not his philosophy it's just it's what it looks like on this and it's like dude why aren't you just walking into that range like seriously why are you risking a dash which is i'm guessing like around 20 frames somewhere right um mm-hmm. where you cannot block you can potentially get counter hit you can get all the stuff and you are dashing into a range where you know birdie can smack you around and he smacked you for a freaking perfect and you still went back to this why yes, but he smacked you for one of seven rounds yes the other six work yes and so i'm i'm a little bit in awe of this i think people can hear that in my voice of i don't know exactly why um i do know that again the risk reward in this game and the tactics uh, uh we've talked about this before it's this is a game where you can come in with a battle plan and reactions and other stuff will not necessarily counter that battle plan it's very different in here and and if something like this it's like okay you know fudo go ahead and try to get by on your reactions and you know godlike footsies and all that stuff you've got guess what that i have this tactic for you and i don't think you're ready for it and guess what fudo was not and mm-hmm. he comes storming all the way back and he did this throughout top eight it's the first time i've noticed it i don't know if he does this in other matchups it's the first time it stood out to me and again it was just a, a mind blinker in terms of why are you doing this it's like you're, you're 
it's not the same thing, but it's like you're standing full screen and like sweeping over and over and over again, right? <laughs> and it's like that is like the biggest scrub tactic ever. It's not gonna work, it's not gonna do you anything. And and here's here's Tokido dashing from three four screen. Like, why would you dash her? That's stupid. Yet Well, how do you punish him if he if he dashes from that far? Uh, now it does depend on the character. If you've got a big beefy long reaching normal, boom, you've got it. Because most most long reaching normals are, you know, about ten frames, right? Uh Birdie stand heavy punch as an example, uh Minot stand heavy punch would be another one any character that doesn't isn't super stubby sorry nicole but any character who's not <laughs> super stubby should have a very good counter where if you know he's going to dash just pop that button you're going to nail him and probably even counter hit the guy in a vacuum something like that is dumb and scrubby mm -hmm. right or it's not going to be efficient is i think the better way of putting it but when it's paired with all the things that i was just talking about it's a very very strong conditioning tool yeah and this just seems to be what tokido felt like approaching with uh, you know just the game in general approaching with during top eight of saigon cup and hey uh first place i guess it worked out for him it worked out really well yeah and, and again it's it, it's I, again i go back this happened throughout top eight it wasn't just like just fudo's birdie he was doing this against he did it against everyone else too to not maybe as high of a degree but he was still doing it and, and i just i i still go back to it i'm very biased here street fighter 5 is my favorite game in the franchise i i look at the stuff and go I understand some parts of this game and I understand what people are doing. How much do we not understand that someone like Tokido or Punk or Justin Wong or whomever, how much do they have actually going on in their head that they're doing that they're, they're just not letting the masses know about? Why would you? You're playing for a half million dollars, right? You don't have any incentive to get this information out in front of people. Um, it's up to them to pick up on it. Like, hey, you discovered the tech. You don't have to share it, right? I just, I wonder how much is really going on here. And, and something like this is just, it, it blows my mind to the point where I'm like, I'm hoping that people out there maybe have answers. And if you have some answers or ideas of what's going on, please tweet at us, you know, leave it in the comments. Like, I'm really curious what people's the thoughts are. And John, I do think that you are on the right base of conditioning, right? But, but why does he do that to condition him? Like, that's not effective. It's not efficient. Like, how is that efficient and effective to freaking dash at him from three-fourths away and hit jab? Like, you're getting a jab. And I, you're saying it's oppressive, but, like, there seems – damn it, there has to be more to the puzzle. Like, like there's some blanks in there I can't fill in the, you know, the spaces with, and I, I'm hoping, you know, our listeners uh, out there maybe can. So, you know, you are the schedule leader for these a lot of times, but this does tie very strongly into something that I noticed with the other Topanga guys, Bonchan specifically. So if you're down, yeah, let's I would do it. Let's like do to it. transition into we saw Topanga. And so it was it was Bonchan mainly talking. He was like kind of the principal speaker here for what we're talking about. But then uh, I believe he was talking with Moke and then Fudo again, and they were discussing punk. Now, this comes through FGC Translated or Translation, which is a fairly, as far as I understand, new YouTube channel um, and, and social media uh, person that, that is translating a lot of this stuff, which is great. Uh, but I say that to say that, um, you know, we didn't translate this, so I take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, but it seems like it pretty much checked out, at least this particular episode. So anyways, these guys were talking about punk specifically because one, uh, Bonchan and punk both main Karen and... Bonchan has been in the spotlight for much longer than Punk. 
He's a more storied player, historically speaking. But right now, Punk is just unstoppable with Karen and his footsies. And the thing you talk about when you talk about Punk's Karen are the one-hit confirms and his abilities there. So these guys are jumping in. And this is like the Japanese. Like These are like the, the strong, some of the strongest Japanese players in the world. That's significant when you're talking about the FGC, when you're talking about Street Fighter. And they kind of let in on how they look at this, how they break things apart, what they specifically are paying attention to, when they have a problem opponent like Punk, how they go about breaking him down and looking at his footage. And at one point, Bonchan brings up the, because a lot of people that, especially that play Karen, but just in general, even since like the, I think the third strike days, one of the tactics for hit confirming was not to look and see if the you know blue spark of a block versus the yellow spark of an actual hit or whatever it is in whatever game you're playing happens, but instead to look at the stun bar or even look at the score if there's a score on your uh, in your game like in third strike and see if that changes because it's easier to react to that into the confirmation. Uh, and a quick thing too is that the counter hit message too is is one a lot of people I know use, but yes. Oh sure, sure, sure. Because that's going to mean you even you have an even bigger window at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So, so anyways, uh, he was talking about how, and I don't think Punk and Bonchan have had much in the conversation just because of the language barrier and such. I could be wrong, but he was saying that he can tell that Punk does not use the stun bar when he's playing, and he can tell that from just watching how he plays. The kind of nuance and the detail and the intricacy, the level that he was picking this apart was amazing, and it was all non-verbal. It was just what I've seen from him, and as a Karen player, the things that a Karen player thinks about while they're playing and while they're analyzing the game, it's like this own it's it, it's like it's it's its own language and they're communicating like that and i thought man first of all that's really cool <laughs> right and i think a lot of us can appreciate that even if we don't do it on the regular if you play enough fighting games you can appreciate what we're talking about here but that he could pick up on yeah i specifically don't think that punk is using the stun bar and the reason i think that he said that was because of the way he cancels into tanko like, so if Karen's too far, then in certain situations, the Tanko won't reach or something along those lines. And you have to use EX, but Punk doesn't do that. And he could garner from just an observation like that, something as specific as, oh, it's because he's not using the stun bar to confirm. He's actually just using like visuals to confirm. And that's amazing. And seeing these guys, and there, there's more to it than just that, but that was the big takeaway. And, and if that's interesting to you, then I encourage you to go back and, and watch the FGC translation video. Or if you speak Japanese, the whole thing, man, because there's probably a real a, a lot there. But I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, one of the things that jumped out at me that, that Bonchan said is, and I think this is really important to keep in mind, is that if you try to imitate a player to a high level, you're oftentimes going to fall on your face there. And... What Bonchan actually says about Punk is he's like, hey, I this the, the hit confirms in some of the ways he plays, like I can't do that. He's like, but what I feel like is like the areas that I ex, you know exceed in as a player, like you know, Footsie's fundamentals, very controlled play. Bonchan is so amazing at that, one of the best. Um, he feels like he can do that better than Punk. You know, I, and he didn't, you know, specifically lay out every way that he, you know, he's better than Punk. He just he feels like there's some things he does better than Punk does, right? I think the room brought up his defense. I think Fudo's like your defense, and he, they all go, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, there you go. Um, so. Uh, that's something I, I think that, you know, players listening to this should keep in mind is that don't set out to be, you know, Justin Wong's Monat or whatever. Like, it's okay to definitely borrow tech or steal tech from people. Everyone that's smart does that, right? Like, you you will see, um, you know, Bonchan and Punk both 
borrow tech from each other, you know, and definitely ad- adapt that into their game. But they definitely have different styles that that suit their own ways they want to play and approaches and all that. And even Bonchan, like you, you know, Bonchan has beaten Punk before, and you know, vice versa, right? Um, both players are dynamite. So take what these players are doing and adapt it to your own style and your own approach that you think is going to work because these games have such amazing freedom of expression if you really want to explore it, right? You can play like a total jerk. uh, You can be (laughs) very calculated and thoughtful uh, and you can be, you know, very footsie based or whatever, like whatever you want to be, you can be, you know, um, uh, it's just something I I thought was very nice advice from Bon Chan. Uh, It shows again, he's really got his head on straight. Uh, He's been doing this a long time, Uh, just a gifted and great player. And I was happy to see that. Yeah, when you are in the groove, you're not thinking very actively about this isn't that's of what you're going to do. You're you're more feeling it and you have thought about it and practiced it enough that you can just rely on the feelings at that point because if you're thinking about too much there's there's a certain you know strategy and game plan that you have to have but if you're thinking about things when when we're talking about karen one hit confirms and it's like just frames uh, you know 60ths of a second that you have to react you can't be sitting like oh well what does bonchan do here or what does punk do here that that just is never going to work so you can you can see some of the things that someone does and you can over time implement them into your game by grinding them in the training room but you can never just be sitting there and thinking well what would so and so do in this situation um well in certain situations sure because they're slow enough and you're at neutral or you're like half screen away and you you know whatever but when you're talking about confirming and the heat of the moment and reactions that's all coming down to what's coming out of you naturally so Oh, and one other point I wanted to make about this is that it's kind of interesting. Punk has gone on the record as saying that Bonchan is far and away his favorite player. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I think of Punk as Bonchan's biggest fan, probably. Mm-hmm. And now here we have, you know, you've, you've made it to the point where you have your, your idol, as far as Street Fighter goes, talking about how you're better than him and, and how he's trying to figure out how to beat you. Right. That must be a damn good place. That plus he got a shout out from uh, CM Punk after after Evo a few years ago, like right. the actual the wrestler, right? So man, good stuff to Punk. It's 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 looking up for him. I uh, just jump in and say we experience this on event hubs too. Uh, and shout outs to all of our staff members. Um we have always done things, you know, like you and I have been on the site for many, many years now. And you pass the torch on to the you know the younger generation and have them do a lot of the jobs that that um, you've done in the past and you you fill that with time right like you you and I have been discussing this behind the scenes like how how you just kind of feel yourself shrinking and all that and how you have to grow and evolve beyond that and it's hard you know and it's that's why I really appreciate how you know graceful Bonchan has been about this and you know I you can maybe make a case Bonchan's better but I think most people would take Punk at this moment in time and he's outclassing him with his own character at this moment it's like oh yeah um and Bonchan's got that brilliant you know Red Bull commercial but Punk has become as you mentioned, you know, CM Punk, he's become so huge and all that. It's got to, you know, take a blow to the ego, but I was very happy to see how humble and, and reasonable he is about all this stuff and, you know, discussing it openly. It, it's a good reminder for us to continue to embrace that because it's hard. It's really hard to do that, but uh, but there it is. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a cool dude. Uh, so moving right along here, we have uh, the announcement of, of the new Mortal Kombat movie. And it's uh, they're apparent, apparently working on it in South Australia. And the guy that announces... How do you know that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the guy who announced this was apparently a um, an ambassador for, for South Australia because he mentioned South Australia about 27 times during the press conference they had. They're like, we have great locations here in South Australia, great people in South Australia. Well, South Australia, South Australia. Australia. I didn't know if I mentioned that before, but 
South Australia. And I was just like, dude, really? Like, you're really into your, like, you know, your, your region of your country, you know, kind of thing. It's not even the entire thing. It's like, it's got to be the South side, right? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. But you know, I got a real good kick out of the guy. I'm like, I, I was... Uh, I, I wish I was that enthusiastic. You know, I had to drop like event hubs like every other, you know, word or something like that to get to that level. Um, but moving on here, we have uh, James Wan, who is a very good director, uh, is actually going to be directing uh, the Mortal Kombat movie. And so people, you know, probably don't know his name, maybe a you know, household or anything like that. But he's been behind, you know, the first Saw movie, Insidious, The Conjuring, uh, Aquaman. Furious 7, which may be, you know, a hit or miss prospect for a number of people, uh, but also the movie Death Sentence, which was a a very, uh, wasn't a huge mainstream, you know, movie, but it had Kevin Bacon in it. Really good film. Um, <laughs> but it had Kevin Bacon It had Bacon Kevin Bacon. It. it was really good. It was really good. I don't want to, I don't want to tell more details about it because it will spoil the movie, um, but it was very well done, actually. Uh, and like on every level type thing, it just, I was a little shocked the movie didn't take off a bit more in terms of popularity, but he's strong. It's not like some, you know, random directors coming in here and they've got you know batman 3 on the resume or something like that like some a lot of missed projects basically this guy generally puts out high quality films um and i'm excited about this one you know i i so i went to college for uh <laughs> what was it bachelor of arts in in media and film so it's almost like i didn't go to college but when i was there you know directors and talks to directors would come up and james wan his name carries some weight man and He's got, he's hit or miss. So when I heard new Mortal Kombat movie, I go, okay, yeah, but they've, they've done a, they did a really great one uh, in its, you know, kind of campy way. And they did a really terrible one. And then since then, they've just been taking like pod shots at online series and stuff. And I haven't really been too interested in that. But James Wan's name is kind of what got my attention to begin with. And I go, okay, so this could be really, really good if they do it right. Like, and it also has the potential to be a Mortal Kombat media production, which, ugh, most of the time. And also, Wan has, you know, <laughs> Aquaman under his belt, which... Um, Spoilers, it's a terrible movie. Uh, I, I didn't. Darn. I, it's, it's crap, dude. There's a lot of crap. It's under got Jason Momoa in it. How could it be crap? He's so handsome. So anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, but but he's also got some really good horror credits um, under his name. And, and so he can definitely get the job done. When I was a kid, I remember watching Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> it's funny how this keeps coming up. And in the previews before Dumb and Dumber, seeing the the preview for the first Mortal Kombat movie and losing my mind. Because Mortal Kombat was the forbidden fruit. I wasn't really allowed to play it because it was a little too violent. But it be, quickly became my absolute favorite forbidden fruit. And that they were making a movie on it. Oh my gosh. And I've probably watched the first Mortal Kombat movie at least 50 times in the last week. No. <laughs> Uh, in my in my life and then annihilation significantly less but still not no insignificant amount and i'm excited to see what happens i don't know that i'd go and see this in theaters or wherever it pops out like immediately but i'm intrigued and i'll, I'll like i think it's a good move right now i think that you need something from mortal kombat every so often and nrs has been taking you know it takes itself pretty damn seriously in these avenues and they get some pretty good names and they'll get some you know state-of-the-art technology to do this stuff and I think that, that this could turn out really well. 
uh, but there are a lot of variables and there are a lot of ways that it could not turn out well. But it is exciting, especially just coming off of the heels of the release of MK11 and how things are doing there. It's like, yeah, it's a good time for, for Mortal Kombat right now. So I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but did I mention that the movie is being filmed in South Australia? Oh, is it? Yeah. Well, I, I imagine yeah. that Kano is going to be a significant part of this. He should be the main bad guy. Maybe they clone him a handful of times. Gotcha. So there's a whole bunch of Australian Kano. <laughs> anyway, uh, looking forward to it. Maybe I'm, I'm less hyped now than I was before, but but damn it, I, I'm all in. I, I think he's a great director. Usually, uh, the first Did you song, see Aquaman? I have not seen it. I don't watch superhero oh. movies, so yeah. Oh, and, okay. Uh, that's, that might explain it there, so yeah. Um, but I remember the first saw and him talking about like making that and like the, the shoestring budget they had to you know put the movie together and uh he basically just said like they had to film in a garage right the entire movie is like one room almost uh they go a little bit outside of it and like film in a home and a few other places but like it's so basic and yeah. just what that movie was at the time and like the the approach of it and all that uh i believe he wrote most of the movie um it, it's like i'm i was very impressed with him and as, as you mentioned when you were in film school yeah you know, he was a you know a big name so i maybe i got too hype about that and haven't looked enough at his current you know resume uh maybe i shouldn't be as hype but but damn it i'm all i in, think so. the, <laughs> the writer for the first saw his name's adam Wanell or waddell he's one of the two he's guys one of the two people yeah in the room in there yeah yeah it, uh, opposite carrie ells yeah um, uh, uh, Juan also uh, wrote the movie as well. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, it was yeah, I'm sure part it was a team effort. Code. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, um, so yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm eternally, what is it, optimistic, right? Like, I, I'm yeah. always hoping for uh, the great stuff to come out, and then it comes out and I completely trash it. So, oh, uh, yeah. there, one other thing to say about this movie, though, um, an unofficial, uh, I forget the term because why would I know this? I just went to film school and stuff, but the, uh, the list of actors that they want. Um, they, they put out, uh, and again, I think it's unofficial, but they're like, we need someone to play Melina, and she should be in her 30s to 40s, and someone to play Jax and something. And there's like a whole list of them. And one of them is Raiden, and they want a 14-year-old. Okay, young Raiden, I hope. Young Raiden. Well, Kid Thunder, right? Kid Thunder. The, the yeah, yeah, friendship from Mortal Kombat 2. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting take. So who knows where they're going with this story, oh, and Mortal Kombat's been all about the timelines and whatnot now. But yeah, that was intriguing to me. I think it's interesting you use the word intriguing. That sounds scary as all hell to me. So I'm really <laughs> hoping that that's just like a flashback. Like here's a bit part. Or, I don't. Oof. Oh boy. Um, yeah. Boy, we, we better move along because my, my hopes are <laughs> just like completely going down the drain now. Uh, and, and let's go ahead and talk about Combo Breaker uh, 2019, which is coming up next weekend. And you wanted to get into predicting how many Kami's, Rashid's, and Akuma's we're going to see in top eight. And I'm going to jump right in here. And, and damn it, these characters like piss me off to such a degree. I want to see these three characters nerfed again into 4.5, which we're going to be getting into here on the website. And I'm sure here on the pod in the future, uh, like what we want to see, you know, different with them. But they continue to be highly oppressive. And I just want to go on record again, stating that if we nerf these freaking characters, Kami, Rashid, Nakuma, Capcom, Kami, Rashid, Nakuma, if we nerf them, all the other characters in the game most of the other characters in the game get better. There's probably no hope for it, like Alex. But other characters will get better if we knock them down. And and everyone benefits from this, please. But um, I actually think that if we're only counting mains, we're going to see two of them in top eight at Combo Breaker of the, the three characters there. If we include alts, I think we're going to see three. 
So you're not even going to specific. Like we'll see one Akuma and one Rashid oh, no, and no, no cameras. No, I, I went full mix on this one. Like it, it's, <laughs> it, it, they're all the same character. Like if you play these characters, they're all the same. Wow. <laughs> and and also considering our discussion about G earlier, you don't want to put him on that list of characters you like to see nerf over uh, well, characters I, that I, might I mean, I, I, I just did like a 20 minute segment on nerfing G. So I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. All right. So how many uh, Rashid or Akuma or Kami will we see? in the top eight and your guess is two two if we're only counting mains and if we count alternative characters as well three okay you got you're probably gonna have a tokido up there you're gonna have at least one rashid and and here's the thing though it's not very often that you see you know like a kami especially this season win the whole thing there's usually a million of them there and none of them are like winning the whole thing um rashid's a good uh, call and akuma is but akuma really only because of Tokido, and then you have some Haitani. But outside of those two, it's like, who else, what other Akuma is going to crack top eight at Combo Breaker? So I'll, I'll say three. I'll say three mains are going to either be a Kami, a Rashid, or an Akuma in the top eight of Combo Breaker. All right. Well, there it is. Yeah. Would love to hear if you guys think that uh, the same amount of those three characters are going to be up there. So if you want to throw us your predictions on Twitter or in the comments of the article, anything like that, play along with us, man. It'd be fun. And then uh, we'll all watch together and we'll see how wrong we are. But uh... <laughs> All right, y'all. That's going to wrap us up for this week of the Event Hubs podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good weekend.